Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, we've been doing some construction, and so it's really exciting. Uh, you might, before you leave, go downstairs and take a look in the event room. Uh, it's some construction that began about a week ago, so it, it has been a flurry, a whirlwind of restoration. And, and the volunteers that have been there, the, the hard work, there's been so much fellowship, so much unity, camaraderie, and we've really all grown closer to one another and to Christ. And we're going to christen our event room in a couple of weeks for a vision night. So uh, be looking out for the exact night and hour of that dinner that we'll be having downstairs. It's going to be awesome. And this vision night is going to resuscitate our souls. I think it's going to awaken us to our purpose, to our calling as followers of Jesus Christ Amen. and as a church. You know, upstairs in our prayer room, um, we, were, uh, we, we were praying and, and, and the Lord just put on my heart as we were praying that each individual follower of Jesus Christ would be set ablaze, consumed by the Holy Spirit, and as a result, we as a church would be a bonfire of hope. A bonfire that cannot, get, that cannot be contained, that kind of spreads and is out of control, and then it becomes a wildfire and consumes our community with faith, hope, love, the knowledge of Christ's love, passion for Christ. So, uh, be... Uh, be looking out for that night for our, our vision banquet coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's good to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open it with me to the book of Genesis. And we're going to continue our series on the life of Joseph. What a story this has been. And this morning's sermon is entitled, The Next Chapter. Everybody say the next chapter. You have a next chapter in your life. And really the, the, the source of Joseph's stamina, perseverance, endurance, the, the grittiness, the tenacity in his faith is that he had a next chapter of faith. He didn't look at the chapter that he was in and say, this is it, this is the last chapter of my life. He understood at every season of his life there was yet another chapter. Without a doubt, the most horrible phone call I've ever received in my life, the worst news I've ever received, is when I got a phone call from my good buddy Luke Gilcrease, who's on vacation right now with his family, and said that our, our close friend took his life the night before. I mean, I immediately started grieving and trying to wrap my mind around it. My, my dear friend, my, one of the greatest encouragers I've ever had in my life, came into a season of his life where he thought that that was the final chapter. He lost this next chapter perspective. And so let's begin with Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. We're going to look at Genesis 40, we're going to look at Genesis 41, but let's look at our text verse, Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, and we read, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, as it goes for our hero, Joseph. He continually gets forgotten. What a discouraging statement. For most people, but not for Joseph, because Joseph understood that no matter what season he was in, no matter what chapter he was in, it was not the final season, it was not the final chapter, there was a next chapter. 
And whatever season he was in, even if it didn't feel good, even if it caused some people to look at him and scoff and say, where is your God? He knew that there was a next chapter that would reveal God's glory in his life and reveal God's love to a lost and dying world and reveal God's power to draw people closer to God. And I pray that you have a next chapter faith. Well, how did we get to this point? Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, let's back up and remember where our hero Joseph has come from. And let's make our way back to this verse right here. But let me pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that all of our faith would be emboldened. That we would acquire in our perspective this morning a grit, a determination. So that none of us would be complainers, none of us would be whiners, none of us would throw a pity party, none of us would ever view ourselves in the final season or the final chapter, but we would always have strength, always have joy, always have hope, because we have a next chapter faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember, Joseph was hated for no other reason than God put a dream in his heart. So his brothers despised him because he was the dad's favorite and he had a calling upon him. So they threw him in a pit. They were conspiring to kill him. They decided to sell him as a slave. And then we came to the end of Genesis chapter 37. I mean, from dreaming big for God and being obedient to share with others what God has put in your heart, landed Joseph in a pit where he was despised and sold as a slave. And a lot of people would say, what's the point? I'm following Jesus. What's the point of this? Where is it getting me? But this is what Jesus said would happen. If we follow him, then we will be a target. We have an enemy. We should really be concerned if we don't have enemies, if we don't, uh, if, if we don't have a faith that, that causes people to make us their target. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, they're going to treat you the way they treated me. Look how they treated me. Don't be surprised by it. We're in a spiritual battle. And so we enter into Genesis chapter 39. And you see that Joseph was, was sold as a slave. He was on the auction block. And they sold him and he was purchased by a leader of the Egyptian government named Potiphar. And there in Potiphar's court, Joseph began to ascend the ranks. And Potiphar had such confidence in Joseph's leadership, his administrative ability, his wisdom and discernment, that the only thing Joseph concerned himself with was what he was going to eat for his next meal. That's what the text says. Can you imagine? He didn't have to worry about this conflict. He didn't have to worry about accounts payables, accounts receivables, this project, this goal, this deadline. He entrusted everything to Joseph, and all he had to worry about is if he was going to order from Papa John's or Pizza Hut. That was his biggest concern. And so you think that things are looking up for Joseph, but then we read that Joseph was handsome and of good form, and then Potiphar's wife begins seducing Joseph day after day after day, but Joseph has integrity, and what this results in is his Potiphar's wife yelling rape as Joseph ran away and said, get away from me, woman. And she clung to his cloak and she said, rape, I have the cloak to prove it. And because of Joseph's integrity, we finish Genesis chapter 39 with Joseph being thrown in prison. Again, 
What's the point? What's the point of following God? What's the point of praying? What's the point of having character? What's the point of being faithful? If all it results in is people despising us, of, of, of people rejecting us, what's the point of having faith? If all it results in is people slandering us, and then we wind up in a worse situation than before? And now we enter into Genesis chapter 40. So now Joseph is in prison, falsely accused. And there in prison, once again, you just can't keep a good man down. Joseph's gifts begin surfacing. His leadership begins arising. His administrative skills begin to, 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 to rise and, and surface. And then the, the master of the, of the prison entrusts, just like Potiphar did, everything under Joseph's command. And then Joseph is running the whole prison. So it looks like things are looking up, but, you know, it's just a dungeon, right? So who really cares? And he's dreaming about home. He wishes he was, he was at home. And a lot of people would look back and reflect upon their life and, and say, why bother dreaming for God if it's going to end up like this? Why, why bother having character and integrity if it's going to uh, get me here? And yet God has his favor on him, and he begins to have favor and rise in the ranks of uh, the prison, albeit a dungeon. And so let's pick up in Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer and his baker committed an offense against the Lord of the king of Egypt. We're talking about the Pharaoh. We're talking about this is the ancient equivalent of the United States. This is the, um, this is the mega power of the day. The most powerful man in the entire world is the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And two people in Pharaoh's court get thrown into the prison, the very prison that Joseph began rising in, in the ranks, and the very prison that Joseph had favor and is now the overseer. Now, who, who is this baker and who is this cupbearer? Or some of your translations might say butler. It's not a butler. Like, he's, he's not, he didn't go into prison wearing a bow tie and, you know, a black suit or anything like that and white gloves. He's a cupbearer, like, um, like Nehemiah was the cupbearer and the baker. So these two guys were in charge of Pharaoh's food, what Pharaoh ate, and what Pharaoh drank. And now they're in prison. It's a government prison. The text doesn't say what their offense was, but we can only speculate and surmise that because of their position, there was evidently a plot to assassinate the Pharaoh. And the way leaders were often assassinated in this day was by poisoning their food or their drink. And thus the cupbearer and thus the baker would taste the food and they would drink the drinks before they would give them to the Pharaoh. And if they died, then the Pharaoh wouldn't eat the food and drink the drink. So we can only assume that there was a plot to assassinate him through his food or through his drink. But they didn't know uh, who, where this plot came from. They, they didn't know the source of the plot. So they threw both the cup bearer and the baker into prison. Verse 3. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Verse 4. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And now our plot thickens. And one night... They both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, 
who were confined in the prison, each his own dream. And as you remember, Joseph, he has a past with dreams. He's a dreamer. And each dream, each dreamed, each had their own dream. Each dream had its own interpretation. Verse 6, when Joseph came to, the, came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. And he said, why are you downcast today? And they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, don't interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And I think this tells us a lot about Joseph's character right here. There's a story about two prisoners who were in prison, and every day they both looked out the same window. And at the end of 10 years, one was so grieved that he just died of depression, and the other had so much joy and hope. And yet, they each looked out the same window every single day. But the difference was, when one looked out the window, all he saw was bars. But when the other looked out the window, all he saw was stars. And in the same way, we have Joseph, the cupbearer, and the butler. Two of them are downcast. All they can see is bars. Joseph has a bright disposition. He's joyful. He's asking people how they are because he looks through the bars and he sees the stars. What are the stars that Joseph's looking at? Well, this is before Moses is born. This is when uh, the, the Hebrews are just a small family. This is before they're a nation. This is before the Pentateuch is written. This is before the, 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 the prophets are written. This, this is before the, the, the wisdom books, the, um, the, the Old Testament. And so God spoke to Joseph, and he gave Joseph a dream. And Joseph was holding on to that dream. The window that Joseph was looking out upon, the stars that Joseph was gazing at every single day were the dreams that God had put in his heart. And so it is with us. Every single day, we are either going to grow more downcast, like the cupbearer and the butler, or, we're our, or our disposition is going to grow stronger and brighter. And that depends upon whether we see bars, the circumstances of life, the disappointments, the sorrows, the hatebacks, the, 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 the heartbreaks, the frustrations, or whether we look through the bars and we see the stars, and the stars are God's promises to us. Joseph looked through the bars. He saw the stars. That's what he gazed upon. The promises of God. What God put in his heart. Are you holding on to a vision? Is there a God-given promise that you're clinging to? Every day, do you open up the scriptures and do you read the scriptures and do you cling to the scriptures as your reality? That's the only way that your disposition will be strong and bright. When they were downcast and they said, well, we're depressed because we had a couple of dreams. Joseph could have said, you don't know anything about hard times, believe me. You're depressed because you had a couple of dreams? Let me tell you about my life. I have a reason to throw a pity party, not you. I was hated by my brothers. I was thrown into a pit. I was sold as a slave. I was falsely accused. I was thrown into this dungeon. This is how my life has gone for the last almost 20 years now. What are you telling me that you're depressed because you had a dream? You've only been here a short period of time. No, he wasn't like that at all. He was others-oriented because he was looking through the bars to the stars. Now, let's continue to get to verse 23. They each had a dream. The cupbearer had a dream. The butler had a dream. Let's read about these dreams. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? 
tell me these dreams. Let's read about these dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. Joseph has a spirit of wisdom. He has a spirit of discernment. God is on him. If you recall, just as the, David's life can be summed up in this phrase, a man after my own heart. Paul's life can be summed up in this phrase, one who will suffer for the name of Christ so that God's grace can rest upon him. And in the same way, Joseph's life can be summed up in this phrase, God is with him. God is with him. And he has this this wisdom and this discernment because God is with him. And God is with him because he craves more than anything else as his lifeline, God's presence, God's strength to sustain him. I was in a library walking through an aisle. History books, military strategy books, business books, books written by CEOs, books of poetry. And they were old books. I just breathed in deep because I love the smell of books. I love books. And I wished I could read them all on my lunch break. But I can't do that. Sometimes I think I wish I could just push pause on time and read a whole library of books. But I can't do that. So sometimes I think I wish that, like in the Matrix, books could just be downloaded into my mind. But I can't do that. And I thought I wish I could read all of these books and acquire the knowledge in this entire library. But you know what I realized in that very moment? And this was, this was a core conviction in Joseph's life. One touch from the Holy Spirit is worth more than all the knowledge and all the libraries in the history of the world. One touch from the Holy Spirit, one moment in the presence of God will do more to strengthen you, restore you, resuscitate you, direct you, guide you. What we all need more than anything else, whatever you think that you came in here needing in order to be happy is trivial. What you need more than anything else is a touch from the presence of God, a moment in His Spirit. And a moment in His Spirit does more than 12 steps can ever do, although 12 steps are great. A moment in his presence, a touch by his spirit to renew you, to see his face, to experience pure love, to know that his hand is with you and his power is upon you and his his providential care is working all things out for your behalf. It's what you need more than anything else to leave this place with strength and joy. And this is what Joseph craved. This is what defined Joseph's life. The spirit of God was upon him. And so, verse 12, Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift you up. He will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. And then verse 14, an important statement to our text. Only remember me when it's well with you. And please Do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. 
And the cupbearer said, sure, sure, man, yeah, absolutely. And, and he was encouraged. He went from being downcast to being encouraged. And then the chief baker, when he saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said, okay, good. I don't have to be depressed anymore. This guy's going to give me a good report. And he said, I also had a dream. And he shares the dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head, verse 18. And Joseph answered and said, this is, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. In other words, you're going to have your head cut off, and he's going to hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. You think he was depressed before? <laughs> Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker amongst his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph interpreted to them. But remember what Joseph said. Joseph said, remember me. Remember that I'm in this dungeon. God's going to get you out of here. You're, you're going to be in Pharaoh's court. And when you're there, tell him about this Hebrew that was thrown into a pit, that was sold as a slave, that was falsely accused, that rightly interpreted your dream. Tell him about me, and maybe he'll have favor on me. Just remember me. And the guy said, yeah, man, yeah. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. How long did he forget him? Well, let's go into chapter 34. 41, verse 1, after two whole years, three days went by. The cupbearer is out of there. He's in Pharaoh's court. Joseph has hope. He's encouraged by his circumstances. There might have been a little extra uh, just pep in his walk. You know, he might have been whistling, and he's like, okay, I'm going to be out of here soon. A day passed, a week, two weeks, two months, six months, a year, a year and a half. Two years, he was forgotten. And this is how Joseph's life has gone for the last 20 years. One trial after the next, one setback after the next, one seemingly false hope after the next, one disappointment after the next. But you want to know something? Joseph maintained his disposition. He was encouraged of heart. He didn't lose hope. Because Joseph had a next chapter faith. He understood this wasn't the final season. He understood this wasn't the final chapter. He understood that God was the author of his life. He understood that God is good. And so it is with us, no matter what we're going through, no matter whatever comes against us, no matter how long a difficult season may last, know this, for the child of God, there is always a next chapter that will will reveal his glory in our life and leave us all speechless in praising him. Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, watch what God does. God gave Pharaoh a dream that he was standing in the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. You know, the kind of cows that just make you want to go eat a steak. And they, they fed in the need, in, in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them. And stood up by the other cows 
on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awake, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on, on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted up seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. Pharaoh awoke. Behold, it was a dream. But he was distressed by it. Verse 8. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them the dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. But remember, there was a cupbearer who met Joseph two years ago. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Ah, I forgot the promise that I made. I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Watch this, guys, from the pit to the palace in a day, in a moment. But it wasn't really a moment, was it? It was 20 years in the making. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there is none who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answered, Pharaoh, it's not in me. No, I can't do that. But God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. How awesome is this? After 20 years of being abused, mistreated, neglected, forgotten, accused, slandered, lied about, forgotten. After 20 years, Joseph still has his faith in God. In fact, his faith in God has only deepened. If you recall that he told his brothers 20, almost 20 years earlier, God gave me dreams. If you recall, he told Pharaoh's wife, how can I do this wicked thing that you're suggesting against God. If you recall, Joseph told the cupbearer and the baker, God will give you the interpretation of your dreams. And now Joseph is standing before Pharaoh and he says, God can do it. I can't do it, but God will do it. He had a resolution. He had a grip. He had a determination in his faith. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing in the banks Seven plump cows came up. After that, seven ugly cows. The ugly eat the plump. After that, here's some, some stalks. Some seven plump ones, seven skinny ones. The seven skinny eat the plump. And verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, two dreams mean the same thing. It's the, the, two dreams for emphasis sake. Verse 26 and here's the interpretation. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. 
The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God. And will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land and take one-fifth the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that they are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve, a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are about to occur in the land so that the land may not perish through the famine. So you heard the dream. You heard the interpretation. And then this is the wisdom that Joseph gives to Pharaoh. He says, appoint somebody wise, discerning, understanding, to oversee the seven years of plenty like you've never seen before that are coming. To take one-fifth of everybody's produce and store up grain so that in the seven years of leanness, this, this great depression and recession that's about to sweep over the entire land, that this wise administrator that can, that can then administrate to the entire world to prevent starvation. And then Pharaoh's response in verse 37. This pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Looking at Joseph. In other words, I found the man. I know exactly who I'm going to appoint over everything. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all the people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, he put it on Joseph's hand, he clothed him in garments of fine linen, he put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in a second chariot, and they called out before him when Joseph rode through the town, bow the knee, and thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am favor, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt." And Pharaoh, and Pharaoh called Joseph by an Egyptian name, and he was about 30 years old at this point. Joseph just became the most powerful man in the entire world, second only to Pharaoh. Talk about going from the pit to the palace. And Joseph now looks back, and he sees Standing in the next chapter of his life, that all of the previous chapters weren't aimless. All of the previous chapters were not an indication that God didn't love him, that God wasn't with him, that God wasn't for him. All of the other previous chapters were stepping stones to the chapter that he just entered into. In other words, Joseph would have never been appointed 
the most powerful man in the entire world who would save not only Egypt, but his own family from starvation, which means that the lineage that the Messiah would one day be born was preserved. Therefore, you and I worship Jesus and call out to Jesus today, largely because of God's providential care in Joseph's life to cause him to rise to that level. Joseph, we wouldn't be here today if Joseph didn't rise to that level. And Joseph would not have risen to that level if two years earlier, Joseph didn't meet a cupbearer and a baker in prison and interpret their dreams. And Joseph would not have met a cupbearer and baker in prison to interpret their dreams if there was a woman in Potiphar's house who accused him of rape so that... Joseph was thrown into prison, and there would not have been a woman to accuse him of rape, so Joseph would be thrown into prison if Joseph was not first bought as a slave by Potiphar. And Joseph would not have been bought as a slave by Potiphar if he was not sold as a slave by his brother. And that would not have happened if he was not first thrown into a pit. And that would not have happened if they did not despise him. And so Joseph now, the second most powerful man in the entire world, as he enters into this next chapter, can look back at all the previous chapters and see that God carried him and that God is providential and that God is sovereign and that God is more involved than he could ever imagine. And so it is with us. God is involved in every aspect of our lives. But Joseph had to have this next chapter faith, not to grow weary, not to stop believing. So I just want to look at three ingredients of Joseph's next chapter of faith, and then we will close out. The first ingredient to Joseph's next chapter of faith is that Joseph knew no matter what season he was in, no matter what chapter he was in, his hands were being equipped. His hands were being equipped. Do you remember when he was in Potiphar's house? What was he doing? He was administrating. Do you remember when he was in prison? What was he doing? He was administrating. And now that he entered into the next chapter, what's he doing to prevent a famine from destroying the earth and wiping out God's people? He's administrating. God had to equip that skill. God had to develop that skill. Do you remember in... The karate kid, when Danielson was waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence, and he threw the rag down, and he said, I came here to fight, and and you had me waxing and painting, and Mr. Miyagi threw a punch at him and said, wax on, and Danielson blocked the punch. And then he threw another punch, and he's like, paint the house, and he blocked the punch. He thought he was just waxing on and waxing off, but in reality, he was learning to fight. And in the same way, God was cultivating him. He was deepening his skill set. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. What was God doing? God is preparing him to shepherd his people 40 years in the wilderness. David was shepherding the sheep. What was God doing? Protecting him, preparing him to shepherd his kingdom. And so it is with us. God is preparing us. God is equipping us in our trials, in our tribulations. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. No matter what season you're in, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, one who serves by the strength God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. 
To him belongs glory, dominion, power, and honor forever. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes to test you, though something strange were happening to you. You see, when we're in a fiery trial, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. Instead, roll up your sleeves and start using the gift that God has given you because God is preparing you for the next chapter. Every one of us has a gift. The Spirit of Christ is within us. If your gift is to encourage, encourage. Some people want to wait until their fiery trial has passed and then they can, they can you know, serve God. Peter says, and Joseph's life testifies, when you're in the fiery trial, roll up your sleeves, use your spiritual gift, encourage, teach, pray for, give, help, administrate. Whatever God has gifted you to do, whatever God puts in your heart to do, roll up your sleeves and do it. And if you don't know what to do, then show up in love. If you don't know what to do, just show up and pray with us and love on people. And then the gift will begin emerging. And you'll see that the fiery trial is simply preparing you for the next chapter. And the reason Joseph made it to the next chapter is because he understood his hands were being equipped. He wasn't looking at the bars. He was looking at the stars. He was gazing upon God's promises. And he said, this fiery trial does not negate God's promises. It must be preparing me for God's promises. Second, not only were his hands being equipped... But his heart was being cultivated. And we're going to see that, that God is working in Joseph's, life, in Joseph's life on many different levels. On many different levels. He's deepening his faith in God's sovereignty. He's equipping him for his calling. Joseph's also a guy with some really deep, understandable, and justified wounds in his heart he doesn't know if his dad's still alive or if his dad which is almost the case has died of grief thinking that he's dead I'm sure that there's nights he tries to fall asleep images of his brother's faces come to mind some nights he's not perfect he might have burned with anger some nights he might have thought, oh, if, I, if I'm ever in a position where they're truly bowing down before me, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he has to give it over to the Lord. He's got wounds. He's got hurts. And God is working in his life. He's preparing not only his skills for his calling, he's also preparing his heart for the grace and the maturity and the forgiveness and the love that we're going to see take place next week. And it's a really critical chapter. As we walk through the process that God took Joseph through to be able to forgive and love and be free and experience restoration. Joseph's hands were being equipped. His heart was being cultivated. Look at this indomitable spirit there in prison for almost 20 years of all of this suffering and setbacks and disappointments. He's others-oriented. He looks at them and says, why are you so downcast? What an awesome guy, isn't he? And the reason is because God is cultivating a heart of love. And thirdly, we know that his opportunity, and he knew that his opportunity was being created. 
And his opportunity looked like it was in a moment, like it was a flash of lightning. But we know that a flash of lightning doesn't just happen. There's a process that leads up to a flash of lightning. And we know that this moment of opportunity didn't just happen. There was a process that led up to this moment of opportunity. And Joseph understood. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. If God called me once, I'm still called. If if I was gifted once, I'm still gifted. If God put a promise on my heart, that promise remains. These circumstances must be the orchestration by God's sovereign hand to create this opportunity. And so it is with us. Would you stand with me, please? My prayer is that if you walked in here downcast, you would leave here with the heart of a lion, with boldness and with courage, that you would have a next chapter faith. Do you have a next chapter faith? Are you encouraged at heart? And we don't need our circumstances to encourage us. We have to have a next chapter faith. Because we know that God is equipping our hands right now in this fiery trial. But you have to use your gift. If Joseph didn't use his gift in Potiphar's house as a slave. If Joseph didn't use his gift in the dungeon. He never would have been there for that divine appointment for God to exalt him to the next chapter. And so it is. In the midst of our fiery trial, we have to use the gifts. I cannot emphasize this enough. The body of Christ needs your gift. You need to use this gift. It is critical for you to enter into your next chapter one day. You have spiritual gifts. Use them. And as I said earlier, if you don't know what it is, show up and encourage. Show up and hug people. Show up and pray with people. And then your spiritual gifts will begin blossoming. Use your spiritual gift. And in the midst of this fiery trial, your heart is being cultivated. And God is giving you a Christ-like heart. He's giving you the capacity to forgive, to love people, to walk in freedom. Isn't this beautiful about Jesus? Jesus just isn't concerned about what we do for him. You know, if you stop showing up in the corporate world, then they'll cut you off quickly, right? they're, They're concerned about your 40 hours. Jesus isn't simply concerned about what you do for him. He has great things in store for you, but it's for your joy as much as for his joy, as much as for the hope of the world, like a father and son playing catch. It's something that God does not only through you, but it's something that God does with you. But he's not just concerned about your gifts and what you do for him. He's concerned about your heart, loving and being free and forgiving and having a perspective of Christ's likeness. And no, your opportunity is being created. Right now, in the midst of this fiery trial, your opportunity is being created. I don't care what it looks like. For the follower of Jesus Christ, we will live happily ever after. That is the next chapter. Whether it's in this world or whether it's face-to-face with Jesus Christ, the next chapter is always worth persevering for. Don't ever lose heart. Don't ever lose hope. You are never in the final season. You are never in the final chapter. We always have the next chapter to look forward to and to be excited about. After David failed miserably, he didn't lose heart. Though he was crushed in spirit, he didn't lose heart because he understood there was a next chapter 
of mercy and grace if he just turned his heart towards Christ. So it was with Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. There was a next chapter, 40 years of leading God's people. So it is with the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and spent everything she had on doctor's bills and her condition grew worse. There was a next chapter. Jesus came to town one day. So it was with Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And yet there was a next chapter was the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a new day. There is a next chapter in your life. Would you bow your heads? Do you see bars or do you see stars? Have you been living with the final chapter or a next chapter of faith? Perhaps you need to take advantage of this fiery trial. Stop despising the very grounds where God is blessing you. But to receive that blessing, you have to roll up your sleeves and commit to the body of Christ using your spiritual gifts. Be encouraged that God cares more about your heart than what you do for him. Through this fiery trial, he's at work giving you the heart of Christ, a heart of grace, a heart of forgiveness. And when you least expect it, you will behold that next chapter. And it's going to work. It's going to be worth it. And you'll look back at the slander, the betrayal, the heartache, the sorrow, the disappointment, the waiting, the longing. And you will see God wasn't absent. They were all stepping stones necessary for this next chapter. So let's just spend this response time praising God. To God be the glory that he's a next chapter God. And I invite you to come down to the altar and perhaps say, God, forgive me because I've been living like this is the final chapter. Maybe that's not consistent with my theology, but that's certainly consistent with my disposition. And I'm sorry for that. And give me a strong heart, Lord, the heart of a lion, an indomitable spirit in Jesus' name to live with the next chapter, faith. And so let's respond.